This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Larkma is a loving group of interstellar beings who contacted Pia Orlean and Cullen Smith many years ago. They define themselves as one of six and six of one, meaning that they have both individual aspects and a unified consciousness. Using the Pleiades as a base for helping humanity, they communicate with Cullen and Pia heart to heart through the energy of love. Messages from Larkma help us sow the seeds of conscious choice for change. With integrity, grace, love, and generosity of heart, Larkma provides the keys to our own freedom and gives guidance for aligning with universal truth. It is time for humans to step into planetary and galactic responsibility, and it all begins within each one of us in every choice we make. Together, in powerful amplification of what we create individually, we weave threads of conscious intention and loving choice to create a beautiful tapestry of manifested reality that will carry us into the new Earth. Valeria Tellis interviews Pia Orlean and Cullen Smith, the authors of Remembering Who We Are, Larkma's Guidance on Healing the Human Condition. Pia Orlean, Ph.D., is a former practicing psychologist, a respected intuitive, astrologer, and the author of the Nautilus Gold award-winning book, Sacred Retreat, Using Natural Cycles to Recharge Your Life. She is co-author with Cullen Baird-Smith of the Wisdom from the Stars series. Trained in archaeology and anthropology, Cullen Baird-Smith is an empathetic intuitive who has been accessing parallel realms of love and light since childhood. He is co-author with Pia Orlean of the cover award-winning book Pleiadian Earth Energy Astrology, Charting the Spirals of Consciousness, Conversations with Larkma, A Pleiadian View of the New Reality, and Remembering Who We Are, Larkma's Guidance on Healing the Human Condition. Cullen and Pia are also co-creators of the revolutionary 2020 Pleiadian Earth Energy Calendar. They live in Europe. Here is the interview with Pia Orlean and Cullen Smith. In your own words, who is Pia Orlean and Cullen Smith? I'll speak for myself and let Cullen speak for himself, but I, Pia, am a former practicing psychologist. I am an intuitive. I am an astrologer who works with the Pleiadian astrology system. I'm an author and a lecturer and enjoy sharing anything that I can to help in human evolution. And I'm Cullen, and I am also a interstellar communicator 
My educational background is in anthropology and archaeology, and that brought me to my incredible interest in the Mayan calendar, which I've studied for decades. I'm an intuitive, an empath, and I have worked with people all of my life trying to help people understand energy and understand how we can do a better job of living here on Earth together. So P and I have both been involved in working with people and working with energy all of our lives. That is wonderful. Um, I guess before I ask you my official first question, another one came to mind. Can you explain to me what is to be an intuitive? An intuitive means, in my opinion, and Cohen can give his opinion, but to me, being an intuitive is receiving messages from spirit or stepping outside of time, past and future, and being very present in the present moment so you are aware of the energy that is around you and you can listen for what that energy asks of you or to receive any messages that are specifically relevant for you or your community. Mm, wow. I think another aspect of being intuitive is to be able to be sensitive to others' energies, others' input that's not verbal, that is actually coming from either their aura or their electromagnetic field, and simply being sensitive to that so you know what's going on with people around you without having to talk or even look at body language. So. Being intuitive is being in tune with the energies that are all around us, and all of us are intuitive. It's been said for generations that intuition is a woman's particular situation or gift, and I would disagree with that. I think all of us are equally intuitive. We simply have to tune into it and be aware of it. Right. So... In a way, we all have this um, naturally, but it also can become a skill to be practiced or developed. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. By men and women. That's wonderful. So before I ask you other questions and before we talk about some topics in your book, Remembering Who We Are, Lachman's Guidance on Healing the Human Condition, I have a few warm-up questions, uh, as I mentioned before. And the first one is about life. What is life to you? Life is a process of being in service and extending love to anybody that you meet and compassion for all living creatures and breathing in and out in a planet that is based upon duality and being able to move with that dualistic experience from a position of love and being able to be compassionate. It's also a situation that helps us understand that we are much bigger than our human physical selves here. Life is about consciousness that we bring from other dimensions, other lifetimes. It's a condition that we come here to Earth as if we're on a mission or an assignment to meld all of the experiences that we can possibly have and make this 
experience on planet Earth a better place. Right. Um, you mentioned other lifetimes. So I'm wondering if even if we are not aware of our existence in this way, different lifetimes, can we still evolve? Your question is very clear. And the way I would answer that is it seems to us, especially through the help of Larkma, who we have been working with for many, many, many years, it seems to us that whether we are aware or not of what many of us call past lives, Larkma chooses to call them parallel lives because they've taught humanity that they are existing simultaneously, not as a past or not as a future, but in the now moment. I think that we can learn and develop, whether it's unconsciously or consciously, through connecting with these other experiences that can bring us a much broader, much wider understanding of who we are and what we're doing here. Some people not familiar with other lifetimes might experience this as deja vu. Something seems familiar, but they don't know why. And that is an example of an awareness of another life. Yeah, yeah. What would you say is the opposite of life? Is there such a thing? Probably fear. Mm. We, we equate life with love and expansion of consciousness, as Cullen said, and the energy of love. And the opposite of love would be fear. So probably my answer would be the opposite is being afraid, constricted. I think that would mean that people aren't living in a way that's helping them to evolve, a way that helps them be enlivened, a way that makes them feel as though they're growing. I think that would be the opposite of what you just asked. Right, right. What is the meaning of freedom to you? Freedom is abundance in all ways not talking about money abundance, but freedom is the abundance to be who you truly are without being afraid of being judged, to be able to do everything for the highest good of all, knowing that you're being of service, to be able to experience whatever comes to you as a gift, even if it's uncomfortable, and look for the gift within the challenge. That's true freedom. Hmm. Wow. For some reason, which is very interesting, this rarely happens unless I become emotionally involved in the conversation. But the body, oh, this, is trying to cry. I'm getting emotional for some reason. I don't know why. That's a very interesting reaction of the mind and the body, yeah, to your presence. I would say that's a remembering who you are. It's I, a remembrance. I would add to that that when people get together and speak about these important ideas and issues, it makes us more connected. It makes us more unified. And I think that can bring emotional feeling up. Wow. Uh. So I guess I, I'll try to continue. 
<clears throat> my next question at this time what do you think is the world's greatest need what is your vision for a new reality that's a really interesting question but my answer to that would be the world's greatest need is to wake up from the dream to wake up to the true reality and begin to see what's happening all around us and how we are being controlled as a species we are being controlled in all kinds of ways that affect us financially physically emotionally and it's time that we wake up and see the truth of what's going on around us so that we can take back our power and begin to step into using our intuition and living from a place of grace and flow and heal ourselves from a very uncomfortable several thousand year experience into the experience we were meant to have on this planet. And that brings us to a very, very simple idea, a very simple equation, unity consciousness. If humanity can shed and remove all of the things that Pia just talked about, if we can come to an understanding that we're all the same, we belong here together, which creates unity, which creates a unified species. If we can do that, we will have accomplished our assignment, our mission being here on earth together. Right. And when you speak of understanding, I, I get that you're, you're speaking of the understanding of the heart not intellectual understanding. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, yes. you just gave me goosebumps with what you just said. That leads me to my next question. What is love? Love is complete acceptance and always choosing the highest good for everybody. If it's not good for everybody, it's not good. True love has to be unconditional. It has to be giving from the heart without expecting anything. And I mean anything in return. It means simply pouring love out of oneself, either to another person or to an animal or to society or to mankind, simply by being in the joy and the flow and the grace of giving that love outwardly without any expectation. Yes, a thousand times. What is your heart understanding and idea of peace? Peace is not having any expectations, any hopes, or any desires, or any regrets, or any guilts. Peace is being calm and balanced and taking each experience that comes to you as a gift of something that you can learn or something that you can be of service in some way. So you no longer judge the experiences that come to you. You don't hope for them to get better. You don't wish that they didn't happen or they would happen. You just stay with the flow. And by doing that and being non-judgmental about circumstances, you become non-judgmental of yourself and of everybody else. And that absolutely starts a sensation of peace within you. Peace is a frequency or a vibration. It is a condition of non-reaction, not reacting to things. Instead, 
simply being in a calm space that responds to all experiences that come to one. Mm. Um, does it have room for emotions <laughs> to emerge? Like um, my response to your presence. Well, we have a very different view of emotions, Valeria. The Pleiadians have told us that we come to this planet with a natural feeling state, and that natural feeling state includes peace, love, joy, compassion, kindness. That is our natural feeling state. They view emotions as everything that is uncomfortable, and the uncomfortable ones are anger, jealousy, frustration, grief, sadness. Those are the ones that are uncomfortable. And we are, we are told that our emotions, these uncomfortable experiences, are signposts pointing to things that we need to change within ourselves. If we're feeling sad or angry, then we're not perceiving something correctly. And so the, the emotions are signposts. So therefore, in answer to your question, I would say that what you experienced was the joy of remembering who you truly are. I also think that a reaction to something that someone hears is taking them into a feeling state if it resonates, if it touches the heart, it brings the positive parts of the feeling state forward. And it can allow us to cry, it can allow us to have goosebumps, it can allow us to have a, a sense that some truth, some absolute truth is either being spoken or felt. And I think you experienced that kind of deep, deep connection of what we're talking about here together. Yes, it's even very challenging to put into words what it is. It's this deep feeling, as you said, that it took over everything, the mind, there's no more even thoughts there, in a way too deep to uh, put into words. Uh, but it can be felt, it's wonderful, isn't it, that it can be felt in such a way. We understand. Yes. So my next question is about the mind. What and where is the mind and what are thoughts? Thoughts are energy, like everything is energy. And the mind is a, an artificial structure we have created to contain our thoughts. And the mind is a bit like a treadmill. You get on it and the thoughts revolve over and over and over again. You feed it facts you keep it going, but it doesn't really get you anywhere because you're on a treadmill of just fact after fact after fact, rather than listening to the heart, which operates completely different because the heart's energy is about spontaneous, intuitive wisdom guiding you moment by moment to what you need. The heart is the depository of all the truths, all the information, all the, all the things that are truly important to us. The mind, on the other hand, is only a conglomeration of facts, figures, and information that the ego thinks is important. And what our Pleiadian friends are trying to help humanity understand is that it's time for the heart to lead the mind rather than the mind attempting to lead the heart. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't? <laughs> it's interesting because this is 
when we think intellectually about these ideas of peace, love, freedom, and the heart, and all these, it's so beautiful that it's easy to believe and to chase and try to um, to pursue these uh, things. But it's not a destination to arrive. It's something that it's it's here now with all of us. And like you're saying, it's just it takes awareness. It takes um, going into the heart and living from that space. Yeah. Yes, we totally agree with that. The heart is the wisest part of us. We've been taught through education and science, that the mind is the wisest part of us, but but the mind is simply a loop of going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. The heart contains the true information that leads us always in the right direction, but the mind can be very tricky. The mind can take us in directions that really are not for our best interests. True. And that leads to my next question about spirituality and religion. Do you see any difference between them? Completely. Absolutely. True spirituality is what we've been talking about with you in this conversation. It's about heart wisdom, heart knowledge, relying on what we truly resonate with. I think we could say that religion, government, mass education are simply things and institutions that try to keep us in line. They try to keep us controlled. They try to keep us living in old traditions that may no longer serve us. There's a, a section in our book where we compare the Christian Ten Commandments with a spiritual view of 10 choices for evolution. And they're very simple and they don't keep us in a box of you have to go to church on a certain day or you have to pray in a certain way. They don't have any rules like that. It's very simply to choose love, choose trust, choose to create new perspectives of cooperation, choose to be compassionate, choose transcendence so that you're always growing, choose truth over facts, choose to illuminate our lives with joy, choose to connect, choose harmony, and choose to be aware and responsible and make choices that were for the highest good for everybody. Mm, yeah. So let's talk about some of the topics in your book. Um, my first question is about the inspiration and intention of writing your book, remembering who we are. <laughs> That's pretty easy. The inspiration came from our Pleiadian friends, Lorna, and the intention was to fulfill sharing the wisdom that they have about why humanity is so out of balance and give us some protocols and practices that we can use to change our concepts, our belief systems, all the things that keep us really, really in a sick society confused, competing with one another, warlike. The goal was to heal the human condition. In other words, to come back to our true nature of that feeling state we were talking about early, love, yeah. joy, trust, and compassion. In your book, you say that the first thing to remember to begin healing is that everything is energy. Why is this the first thing to remember? Well, because 
energy is the beginning place of everything. Everything in this world that we know here on Earth is made up of energy. Everything out in the cosmos is made out of energy. Energy is the universal connection between everything. Energy has intelligence. People don't understand this usually about a conversation about energy. Energy has intelligence. It knows what to do, where to go, and how to connect. And so energy is the glue or the binding that keeps us together, helps us be connected, and changes completely as often as anything in the universe. Energy is constantly changing. Yeah, and then that makes me think about this idea. I mean, not ideas, beliefs and concepts. So they are very stable and solid. Is that the nature of the mind? Thinking and conceptualizing everything, creating these solid um, beliefs about the world and ourselves. From the time we're little children, we are coerced into accepting a version of reality that our parents, our teachers, our churches, our government, everybody else believes to be true. It's why so many children go through a period of talking to what their parents call imaginary friends who aren't imaginary at all. The child just hasn't completely accepted the artificial reality structure yet. When those beliefs start to get formed, we lose our freedom to be who we truly are. And we do become more stuck, more dense, more solid, and some sort of conceptual reality rather than using our energy in a freer way to choose to be a little different in the way we interact with one another. One of the most important things that LARCMA has brought to humanity is the understanding that beliefs keep us controlled. They keep us boxed. They keep us in a very narrow spectrum of life. And one of their most special messages always to humanity is step away from your beliefs or at least look at them and ask yourself, is this belief real? Or is this belief something that I have been given or something that, that I mistakenly, through my mind, think is the only truth or the only way that I can possibly be. Mm, true. Um, a question just came to mind about when and how your communications with LARCMA took place. When they first began to communicate with us, it wasn't a verbal communication at all. We started noticing things in our physical environment would change. For instance, Cullen's shoes one day, he put them out the door every day the same way, and one day all of a sudden they were placed facing a different direction. We didn't know what that meant or what happened. One day we would find the water running. We didn't know what any of these signs meant until we actually started communicating with them at a thought level. At a thought level, they were able to explain to us, we were trying to help show you that maybe you needed to walk in a different direction, or we we're trying to tell you to be more fluid in your life by turning the water on. When we actually began communicating was on Cullen's birthday. We had a very odd 
thing happening to us. Pia had made me a celebratory birthday dinner and we were happily eating it. And in another room, a shortwave radio, which was our only means of communication to the outer world because we were living at a very, very high elevation in a canyon and we had no phone, no cell phone reception, no television, no normal radio. This shortwave radio at the very exact time of my birth turned itself on. And we had no idea what this meant. And for the next three or four or five days, this radio once again continued to turn itself on. Wow. We're going to fast forward a little bit with this story or else we take the entire rest of your show. <laughs> but fast forwarding, one day we just intentionally went in and stood in front of the radio and said, who's here and what do you want? And how can we help you? And simultaneously, Cullen and I both got this instant thought, we are here because we want to help you. And I, I said, Cullen, I just got this thought. And he said, that's exactly what I heard in my mind, too. So so initially, we were getting thought forms. Um, and we would tell each other, as Pia just explained, this is what I got. And the other of us would say, that's exactly what I got. This went on for a couple of weeks. And then... We started speaking the information out loud. Spontaneously, we would verbalize what they were telling us. And it was amazing. They were sharing future things. They were sharing future medicine. Quantum physics. Future travel. Binary systems. All kinds of things that, that we were interested in and we had some knowledge about, but they were giving us more and more and more. And... We realized very quickly that we couldn't continue to take notes, which we were doing. We got the grand idea of actually recording what we were speaking, and that began a two-way conversation between this group of Pleiadians and the two of us. Right. Thank you for telling this story. <laughs> and. Another question related to it is, um, do we all need this connection with higher beings to achieve spiritual evolution? I, I would say no. I would say that as we open our hearts and as we open our intuition, which we can all do, we can develop on our own. However, with the help of a group like this, with a much greater perspective than what most of us humans have, it can help accelerate our progress and our evolution. And I would say that the single thing that's required for anybody's evolution is to step into the place of beginning to see one another through what Lartma calls the spirit of Enlakesh. That means I am another yourself. It's unity consciousness. It's realizing at a very deep soul level that if I hurt you, I'm hurting myself. And if I hurt myself, I'm hurting you. And beginning to act from that place, that's the single key to spirituality is acting from a place of love in every moment. Talk to me about the divine feminine and the divine masculine energies and their attributes. How do we integrate them in ourselves? Well, the divine feminine has been shut down by patriarchal culture for several thousand years. And what has happened is the divine feminine attributes of intuition, nurturance, 
caring, compassion, all of those things belong to the divine feminine, have been sort of relegated to the back corner of women's intuition and not important culturally in society. So we've become very, very imbalanced. And in doing that sort of imbalance, cultural living, we have also dismissed the higher virtues of the divine masculine, and it has become the lower vibration of masculine energy that is governing everything. For instance, the divine masculine, one of its gifts is assertion, being able to step forward and say, we need to do this, to initiate, to move forward. That has been polluted and converted into aggression and progress at any cost. That's a lower vibrational thing, progress at any cost, and aggression certainly is lower vibration, whereas assertion and initiation are the divine masculine, the higher vibration qualities. So what what has happened is our societies and, and our cultures have been out of balance for a very, very long time. I, I actually believe that the patriarchy has been in control for approximately 10,000 years. That is a very long time for an imbalanced, unbalanced situation to be happening. And what, what we understand at this point, it's important for us to combine or meld or marry the divine feminine and the divine masculine in both of the genders. Each of us, male and female, have both male and female objectives or elements or conditions. And once we begin to rebalance that, which is terribly out of balance, what we create is an androgynous being, a being that is equally male and female, even though we may choose a gender, we may choose to be male, or we may choose to be female, we still can blend the high points of both of those energies together and cause an androgynous being to be created, which is balanced. Which I'd like to add, we're not talking about sexuality here. We're not talking about transgender or bisexuality. We're not talking about that. We're talking about maintaining our own gender, but incorporating the attributes of the divine masculine and the divine feminine within each gender. Yes. That makes me think about duality. So if we think about the feminine and masculine, that's already in the world of duality. So I'm wondering if we can just be it, uh, divine force itself. There's no need even for this integration because we are already there. I would agree with that absolutely. However, if we were living in an ideal society and an ideal planet, that, I agree, would be the case. But because we have become so out of balance... So separated. We, I think we have to focus on bringing that back into balance so that we, we actually do focus on it and we do deal with it in order to bring it to the place that you've described. Currently, we think of everything as opposite being conflictual. If there's an opposite, then we think, uh-oh, that's not like me, so therefore there must be something wrong here. And the purpose of duality is to be able to see opposites and get a broader perspective and go, oh, I see that perspective. That's totally different. Let's blend them together in harmony. That's the real purpose of duality. Yeah. I'm thinking about practices 
Is there something that we go back to the heart's uh, wisdom? Or is there like physical practices that we can engage in, like meditation, being around nature? Or... Well, being around nature is probably the most profound thing that we can do at this point in our cultures because we are living in an artificial cultural society that is completely distanced from nature. It's very technological. People are shut inside of their houses, their jobs, wherever they are, on little screens, on their cell phone, and they're not really engaging with the larger world. So I would say being in nature is probably the number one important thing. And the second one you mentioned, meditation, that's also important because that's quieting the mind and getting rid of all the chatter, all the belief systems, just simply sinking into the stillness and, as you said, just being. What is the third dimensional view of health when compared to the universal view? Third dimensional view, in my opinion, having been a psychologist for a large period of my life, third dimensional health is about healing. It's about looking at specific symptoms and addressing whatever symptoms seem to be out of balance without looking at the whole person. True healing incorporates looking at the whole being. How is their consciousness evolving? How is their spirit? How is their emotional body? Is it in balance? How is their heart and mind balance? Is it integrating well? What are the physical symptoms that come because of imbalances in all of these other places? And then if you look at the whole person, you begin to bring balance back in rather than trying to cure one aspect or another. We in Western medicine today have really chopped medicine to pieces into this specialist and that specialist and not looking at the whole being to see what needs to be healed. That's so true. So true. You also, in the book, you talk about the um, universal foundation, the physical elements, four physical elements being the planetary foundation, earth, air, fire, and water. So my question is, what is universal foundation and how do we practice its principles? It's moving your consciousness beyond the third dimension of thinking of earth, air, fire, and water and saying, what is the basis of the cosmos? What are the energies that are present everywhere in the universe? And what is the foundation for all of life everywhere in the universe, no matter what form it may be? And it moves into, Lartma has given us the Pleiadian idea that it's love, joy, trust, and compassion. Because if we use that as our foundation, we move into cosmic consciousness. We move into becoming universal citizens instead of third-dimensional Earth citizens. And it came to mind another question about um, when I asked the question about being in communication with higher beings, so to expedite evolution. I'm wondering why so many of us are afraid creating this communication or being in touch with these higher beings. What is the reason for that? I think the basic reason is we've been taught that things that we cannot see, we cannot believe in. Because if we can't connect with something, let's say an energy that is greater than a human energy, if we can't see it, then we can't trust it. And I think 
for generation upon generation upon generation, we've been told that anything that isn't real has to be spooky. It has to be scary. It has to be defined as something unacceptable because as Pia said earlier, if it's not like us, it's dangerous, it's scary. And I think religion, unfortunately, over the millennia, has taught people that anyone who's sensitive, who is communicating with, let's say, the fairy kingdom, or the Davic kingdom, or any kind of spirit kingdom, anyone who does that must be doing something evil, must be doing something that is being designed or generated by the devil. And it seems to us that there is a scare tactic about anything that comes from without our normal experience. And what we've seen in the past 20 or so years is there are so many energies from around the universe who are doing their best to communicate with humanity. There are more people channeling. There are more people writing books about other experiences that are absolutely true and absolutely helpful. But that pall of there must be something dark about this because we don't understand it. I think that has kept people from realizing that there is so much help out there. There are so many beings who want to help us evolve and they want to help us get over the stumbling blocks that they themselves had to go through in their own evolution. You mentioned a key word also, Valeria. You said, why are people afraid? And one of the basic things is people are afraid that if they're different, they're going to be judged, they won't be liked, and basically they won't be loved. So they're very afraid to step out and say, I'm having a different experience. Because if they do, they think they're going to be judged and nobody will love them. Yes, yes. So true. And that makes me think about duality, the feminine divine. So it takes being open so we can utilize more of the uh, the feminine attributes to end that fear, right? Yes, absolutely. So another question came to mind and I wrote here, it's about God. Do you ever use the word God? We generally try to use the word source, but it doesn't really matter what you call the energy. It's an overall sense that there is a consciousness that is supportive, that is here to help us in our evolutionary process, that is nurturing, and that provides whatever we need if we just trust that there is an energy present that is a larger consciousness. And we are working the best we can as individuals here on this earth to join our energy with that source energy because they are ultimately connected. We are divine ourselves. We are divine sparks of light. And we're just seeking a way to remember that we're connected to source, that we're all the same. We think that all people should use any term they wish that they're comfortable with in connecting to what Pia just described, a larger source, a bigger energy, a situation or a feeling that there's something greater than us individually that we're all part of. And so whether people use the term God or source or energy, it doesn't matter what term they use, 
What's important is they believe that this energy or this. No, not believe. They trust. Okay, they There's trust. There's a difference there. They trust that there is something that they can rely on and be part of that's bigger than just themselves, their families, or humanity. And the reason I interjected and changed that word is because there are thousands and thousands of people who believe in God because they have been trained and taught that this is something that exists, but they don't know it in their hearts. They don't feel it. They don't trust it. So it's what Cullen said. They have to... They have to trust that there's something larger there that's supportive and nurturing. I'm wondering also here if um, unconditional self-love could become the birthplace of spiritual evolution. I think you've hit on a topic that's, that's amazingly truthful. When we speak of love, it's really, really important to realize that love has to start with ourselves. We have to love ourselves truly before we can love another. If we don't love ourselves, if we think we're a diminished being or a incomplete being, we put ourselves in a situation where we can't love ourselves because we criticize ourselves or we judge ourselves. So your question is really important because self-love is the precursor to all other loves. And, and that's something that education and religion, I think, has confused humanity with because we're told, love others first, take care of everyone else, and if there's a tiny little ounce left of energy, then you can love yourself. That leads directly into healing also, Valeria, because there are so many people out there who want to be of service in the world you know, in traditional healing methods, or if they want to be a healer and do something themselves to be a healer. And the bottom line is all healing begins with the self. If you don't love yourself and clear out your own shadows and work with the parts of yourself that you don't like, if you don't work with that and heal that first, you can be not much good at all in helping someone else find their healing. Because each of us has healing energy within us. We just have to access it. So self-love is really important. So I have a few more questions. I call them final questions. Before that, would you like to add anything? Any other, make any yes. other yes. comments? Or... I think you're doing a wonderful job. I don't have anything else to add to the flow that you've created. Uh, thank you. Um, so yeah, my final questions, I guess I have lots of them here. I'm not going to ask you all of them, but... Yeah, I'll ask you this one. I think it's an important one. Uh, how do you define success? What is to be successful as a human being? Success to me would incorporate all the things we've been talking about tonight. It would be finding peace within your heart, non-judgment towards any of your other fellow humans, choosing every action for the highest good of all, honoring and respecting all life and not thinking that you have the right over somebody else to decide who lives and who doesn't. Self-love, service, being the best person you can be. This is my ultimate definition of success. And I think when someone reaches that level of success, they have a sense of joy within them. They just feel good about themselves, about the world, about what they're doing. Joyful feelings are a real indication of success. 
I would agree with what Pia just said completely. I think the successes that we're taught are important about being beautiful, being competitive, having the right job, having the right spouse, having the right house. Those successes are totally artificial successes. True spiritual success is about achieving who we are, why we're here, and making sense of this giant puzzle that we're all connected with and involved with. Yes, how wonderful. So my next question is about healing. What is another word for healing? I think balance. I think love. <laughs> yeah, uh, I love both. <laughs> I have to say the word love again. <laughs> so, and the other question is, if you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? Absolutely not. I, every single moment I have, is this, it is most precious, and I'm doing what I need to do in that moment for the highest good of all. And I don't have regrets, and I don't look forward to, oh, I have to do this and this and this on a bucket list in case I die tomorrow, because I recognize that the joy is in the moment. It can't be anywhere else. It's only in the moment. So if I'm being of service and I'm doing what my heart tells me to do, I'm successful and I have no regrets if I leave this planet in the next second. If we're truly living in the now moment, everything we need is always available to us. The abundance that we talked about earlier, the freedom that comes from abundance, the abundance that comes from freedom, those qualities or those elements are what makes us joyful, happy, and calm and peaceful. So if we live in the moment, if we don't worry about the past that never existed anyway, or we don't put all of our energy into the future of what we hope will happen, which may never happen, if we simply live in the moment in the very now, we've reached exactly where we need to be. What are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? I know that I love and am loved, which to me is the same thing. It's going out and coming back in in one wave. I trust that we are all on an evolutionary path, some of us choosing to accelerate more quickly than others. It is a personal choice. I know that the power of choice determines our future in the next now moment. If we choose things from our thoughts and our belief systems and our hearts and our, our feeling states that are of the highest intentions, then we are creating a more wonderful future for ourselves through the power of choice. And I have one more question left, but that's a technical question. So I wanted to thank you for your presence, your love and your deep wisdom and awareness. Thank you as human beings. Thank you for this conversation. We've enjoyed sharing with you today. And I would say we are part of the same spiritual family. Mm, yes, yeah. I, I felt it uh, with the 
my entire being in the beginning, I mean, throughout, but especially in the beginning for some reason. Yeah, just maybe it might be that uh, moment when you meet your family that you have not seen them for so long. <laughs> and then you become so happy that you cannot hold even your emotions. <laughs> so my last question, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? We have two different websites. The first one is the name of our Pleiadian group. It's LARKMA.com, and we'll spell that. It's L-A-A-R-K-M-A-A.com. And the second place would be at Pleiadian LARKMA YouTube. Both of those places are places you can get information on our books, on our services. We do personal sessions where people can speak with LARKMA directly for insight into their life or to help them with trauma. We also have international live calls where people can participate with the Pleiadian energy every two weeks or every three weeks. That's that's who we are and where you can find us. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Pia and Colin, and we'll talk soon. It was our pleasure. Thank you. This Thank was you. a this was a wonderful experience. We enjoyed this conversation very much. Oh, and there's one more place you can find us. We're going to be at the Cosmic Consciousness Conference in Australia in December at the solstice. So we'll be doing a live presentation there, helping to raise the consciousness of humanity as we step into the solstice energy that comes in and brings positive changes for the following year. Mm, wonderful. I have to say that word again, love and wonderful and all these beautiful words because, yeah, they come easily <laughs> to mind. Thank you again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Pia Orlean and Cullen Smith, please visit their website, larkma.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.